everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Reading Party podcast, season one, part two, I guess. The second half of the season, we're going to be looking at adaptations of Homer's Odyssey. I want to apologize for the somewhat extended break we've taken. We weren't planning on taking so long in between parts one and two, but we've been dealing with work issues and children's health issues and all kinds of little things that have just stacked up to delay our recording and then the releasing of this next half of the season. I appreciate your patience and I hope it was worth the wait. So today we are talking about Ulysses. It's our first Odyssey adaptation. Yeah, I'm excited and I think I feel like we've said several times through the like the first half of the season, man we need some Odyssey stuff. Where is the Odyssey adaptations people? And we have one and I enjoyed it. So uh, I want to preface this by saying I've seen the movie before, but Megan hasn't. And this is the 1954 Odyssey with Kirk Douglas as Ulysses. So um, it's got like old timey effects, but that's it makes it endearing. It is. It is very much of its time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you're a fan of movies from the 50s, you probably will enjoy this i feel like my stepfather would adore it his favorite films are like white christmas and um that kind of period piece shall we say uh and yes very much of its time but it was fun i've seen it so i'll guess i'll just start it off with what did you think like things that stood out <laughs> so the first thing that really was the costuming fascinating choices in several instances um there are many men in miniskirts which I'm generally a fan of. I like a man in a kilt, and these are definitely shorter than your average kilt. There's at least one gentleman who appears to be wearing what I would ordinarily call a tunic that ends just below his groin. And I'm not sure he has a, like there are no trousers or shorts or a longer skirt type tunic. It's just this ultra mini dress and excellent legs definitely the right person to choose for that particular costume well done sir so yes lots of men in short skirts never never a bad thing little bit felt a little bit odd but again that's a, a generational stylistic choice i feel like i've seen other movies from the 50s with similar styling decisions and then um Nausicaa's father whose name always escapes me has this amazing like renaissance gown with big puffy sleeves and it possibly a corset who knows but and I, I have costumes on the brain right because it's 
it's Renaissance Festival Renaissance, if we're going with my usual pronunciation. Uh, it's the Renaissance Festival period in, in the East Coast United States. So I'm sewing Renaissance costumes for my children. And it's like, dresses are very much to the forefront of my brain. But I looked at this beautiful, like green and gold creation. And I think, this is perfect. This is what I need to create for my own medieval getup. And it's in the Odyssey on a gentleman. And he's rocking it, absolutely rocking it, by the way. Definitely looks great. And uh, yeah, but the costumes were wonderful. I loved them, all of them. And and there were lots of like kind of flounced dresses that feel very Minoan. Uh, if you look at like old Minoan frescoes, I, I think that's where they're getting them from. But then Norsicaia has this like lovely flounced dress and then a massive fucking satin bow on the back, which <laughs> spectacular. At in, in like bright purple, absolutely spectacular, love it. Completely not true to, to any historical period outside the 50s, but loving it. Uh, so that was fun. Cersei's costume, also excellent, love it. She, she's kind of, I'm not sure if her skin is green or her hair is green, but she's got like this whole green tinge thing going on, which I did like. I think it's just a lighting decision. Like they lit her in very green to make her look sort of evil and eerie. I could obviously keep going about the costumes. Costumes were great. Absolutely loved them. I did enjoy the general storytelling. The way it's done is um, Odysseus like wakes up on, on the island with Nausicaa, like playing ball with her lady friends. And <laughs> best line, best line in the whole film. One of her like ladies in waiting, handmaiden type people shouts out, be careful, there's a dead man over there. And she rolls him over and says, oh, he's not dead. And someone off screen says, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> he's not dead he's alive that is worse than finding a dead body <laughs> washed up on your beach that happened about 10 minutes in and, and it really sets the tone for the entire film and i loved it it was beautiful so the most of odysseus's travels are told as like this epic flashback because obviously he doesn't know who he is and then the morning of his wedding to nausicaa he's on the beach staring out into the distance it's very theatrical and very dramatic and then you have this epic like hour and a half long flashback and in parallel with that, you have Penelope's story. And yeah, it just, I, it was fun. It was so much fun. They missed obviously large swathes of the journey because if you filmed the entirety of that, you would need a mini series. Um, but I did like the bits they chose to include. They had Polyphemus, the Cyclops, they had um, the Sirens and they had Circe. And then obviously um, his brief sojourn uh, with Norsecaire and then all the all the stuff with Penelope but no I loved it I loved it is it one that you have enjoyed so I will say also we both uh watched the English language version because actually yes. this is it is a, an, a British Italian production and the first time that I saw the film I saw it in Italian because the original is actually in Italian and I it's been something that I couldn't quite wrap my head around because the actress playing Penelope and a few other notable ones, a lot of them actually, the majority of the cast, they're Italian. And so it would make sense that in the Italian version, they use their like normal voices. But Kirk Douglas plays Ulysses and he's clearly not Italian. And then I forgot what it, what's his name who plays Antinous, the lead suitor. He's also a very famous uh, British actor. And so... In the English version, I can tell they're using their normal voices, which leads me to wonder, how did they film this? Did they film this with just, like, the 
English actors speaking English and the Italian speaking Italian, and then you just dub over everyone for whatever version? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was a little just like, I don't understand, because I've heard uh, the, the Italian actors, obviously, with their voices. So so the dubby voices for the English version was it was a bit funny, because I'm like, that's not her voice. But either way, uh, it's they still They were so great. very British <laughs> yeah. in a way that I feel the 1950s just did and has not happened since because our accents are progressively softening but it's it was marvelous to listen to absolutely marvelous yeah it's just a very distinctive thing that if you're not used to this yeah. era and this type of accent you might be a little like oh wait what what is this what is going on here? um but it's very lovely so those are my mm. initial thoughts but no i i loved it just as much this time as the first time uh it is very different and i was thinking to myself that the differences uh with with the original source material because it's, it's been a few years since i've had to read it so mm -hmm. i kind of had to recap just to make sure and um i found it a very interesting narrative choice that it starts on phaeacia which is traditionally the last place that Odysseus or Ulysses mm -hmm. ends up before he goes back to Ithaca. And so in the original source material, um, I think it starts with Calypso. So I think so. He's sitting on the beach. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's trapped on Calypso's island and he needs to get rescued. I mean, Zeus has to send Hermes and then put him on a ship. And then he goes and uh, washes up on Phaeacia. And then, so, so they got, the part they got right was that, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know. Um, I think it was a clever invention for this film that they made him wash up and not know who he is because I believe in the source material. That he goes, winds up on Phaeacia and announces to them, I am Odysseus. Mm. Uh, like, he knows who he is. He doesn't forget. And then they ask him if he will... They say, okay, we'll put you on a ship. But they ask him if he will remain for an evening and tell them the tale of his journeys since Troy. And that's... And so in the epic poem... You basically have him recounting to the Phaeacians uh, all that has come before. So I found it very interesting that they chose to still have him on Phaeacia, still with Nausicaa, but like, he just happens to forget. And when he forgets who he is, basically they take the time to betroth him to the princess within like one day after he wins a wrestling competition. And uh, it was quite cute. I mean, she she names him Stenos the Strong. And she's all like, clearly this like 16. I think she's supposed to be 16 in the poem as well. She's cute. She's she's just this like innocent, adorable girl. And she's like, I will call you Stenos because you don't know who you are. And she's like so in love with him after like one day. And then she like begs her daddy if she can marry him. And then he's, I guess, like, um, let's wait till he wins this competition. Oh, he won? Okay, you can marry him. Why not? My favorite, sorry, by the way, second favorite line in the whole film. Uh, she is getting ready for her wedding day. And she's asking her parents, do you, like, do you think he'll like my dress? Do you think he'll think I'm pretty? And her hat, her wedding hat is, it looks like a tiered wedding cake. Yes, just kind of popped on her head. It was epic but she asks her parents will will he like what i'm wearing and i can't remember if it's her mother or father but one of them quite happily replies oh honey he loves you for your youth and your beauty not what we adorn you with i'm like oh dear god okay good 
yes, well done. And she is, is quite happy with that answer, apparently. I mean, who wouldn't be? I, I would rather be told that they would love me for my youth and beauty, not my dress. True, true. Youth and beauty, a step up from what I am wearing today, but a considerable step down from my intellect, my personality, my sense of humor, <laughs> my compassion, any of those, you know, personal qualities um, that will not disappear when I age somewhat. I mean, yeah, yeah it's still super superficial, but like, come on, oh, we're yeah. super superficial back true. then in Greece so you know I was like okay in line with what I thought but also I was kind of disappointed though because because she's wearing like a tiered cake on her head I was kind of hoping that they would be like yeah or no maybe you should replace the hat but like nope nope no comment the hat was a choice it was. I mean, we've, we've talked about the men in mini dresses and the renaissance sleeves on uh, on her father's uh -huh. um uh -huh. get up but the hat was it was a character of its own right someone woke up that morning and thought you know what this princess needs <laughs> is a hat that looks like a small <laughs> wedding cake well the dress matched too so the, the hat was a cake and the dress was like that's true that's like, true like a very light sort of frostingy color she was just she was a cake she was <laughs> a cake oh something sorry i know i, I asked you a question and then i kind of rampage through your answer i really liked so penelope and cersei are played by the same the same actress which i really enjoyed and when cersei came on screen i was like either i am really bad at telling women apart which and my my memory for faces is not spectacular and women from some eras tends to have a certain conformity about how they look and how they are styled so i was like is this am i going crazy is this What's going? Is she deliberately made to look like Penelope? No, it's the same actress. It's a deliberate, deliberate choice, and it is absolutely the same actress. But I really liked that because it kind of helps ease some of our frustrations with Odysseus over staying with Cersei for mm -hmm. so long. It's not just oh, he's distracted by a beautiful woman. I mean, he's a enchanted, but b the beautiful woman happens to be his his wife's exact double, uh, which yeah, I, I liked. That. No, I did like the stylistic choice. Um, yeah, I, I do really like that. I guess in that vein, another sort of really big departure is that, and I kind of liked it because we still got it, but it's different. So they, um, in the original Odysseus goes down to the underworld to talk to dead heroes. In this one, mm -hmm. it's kind of just in Cersei's cave palace thing you just suddenly see like mist and then you just see like a bunch of people all together and you're like who is this and then thankfully Odysseus just goes Agamemnon Achilles and I'm like oh so he doesn't need to dead people I was like there was no sacrifice <laughs> there was no trench of blood there's no nothing so you get a few heroes and then you get his mother who Cersei sees and is like go away um but she doesn't. Yeah, I didn't call for you. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, and then she's just like, whatever, I'm staying. You're ruining my plan. <laughs> and then she just stays anyway. And it's like, no, you need to leave. And yeah. then he's like, okay, I will leave. It's uh, good motherly advice. Very sound. Thank you. Yeah. What, what strikes me, though, uh, also is that, um, I mean, we've been looking at a lot of Iliad adaptations and some have the gods, some don't. I understand they're hard to weave in. And it was interesting because this one is very much about the gods because he's at the whim of them. And 
there mm-hmm. really aren't gods present in this adaptation no they're talked about a lot and we're told that the reason Odysseus doesn't make it home is because Poseidon's pissed with him and um at the end Penelope thanks Athena for bringing back her husband like it says he's the closest we get to a deity on screen and it's always it's kind of said that things are happening because the gods are helping Odysseus or because they're mad at him like he can string the bow because of Athena um but yeah they're never shown at all which was I think a different tactic to most of the things that we've seen before either the gods are present or they're just completely ignored generally speaking but it's interesting because this one I feel is so much I mean both of Homer's works are so much driven by the gods so I I'm always a bit fascinated by it seems like they have the characters sort of think up a lot of these ideas by themselves because what you have is well one you don't have I mean in the source material Telemachus goes to visit the kings who did return Menelaus and Agamemnon to tell them that his father's alive so he does travel to like Pelos and Sparta um but he doesn't really you don't see him travel anywhere in this one and then it's like when Odysseus or Ulysses comes home it's very much Athena who says you need to disguise yourself as a beggar you need Mm -hmm. to plant it in you know, everyone's mind that, you know, you're dead, so you're going to have the contest and blah, blah, blah. And um, because Athena isn't here, um, it seems like Odysseus just sort of does it on his own. Yeah. When Telemachus comes to and like sees him with the dog, he's like, the dog recognized you. Who are you, strange beggar? And Odysseus is like, who are you, child with a miniskirt? And he, like, Odysseus says to him that gods told me when I landed on Ithaca I should disguise myself. And it's kind of interesting because I feel the way that this movie has handled the presence of the gods is to have them in the other room. So everyone knows they're there. Everyone knows they're an influence. But everything that they do is off stage. It works for me quite well. It works, I think, better than just pretending or trying to write them out of the story entirely. Um, but no, they were definitely less present than in some other of the Iliad um, adaptations we've looked at. Yeah. So the the absence of the gods is one. And also, I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, for my personal assessment, I mean, I always found the Odyssey to be the more sort of mythological creatures and beasts than the Iliad. So yeah. to have some of them, but not the gods, like I understand it because it's hard to weave them in. But I'm kind of like, come on, if you're going to go all out and do a lot of like weird ass creatures and have like cyclopses and sirens and witches. Well, the cyclops, they did they show the, the sirens? Or was that another off-screen thing? Because we hear them, but when Odysseus is going through that, you the focus is on his face. You just see like water come onto the boat. You see him tied to the mast, screaming. You you hear their voices, right? Because they they cleverly played uh, a voice clip from the actress who plays Penelope, and you 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 hear it and you see his reaction. So that's how they film it. So okay, may, you know they don't show them, but I think I think Polyphemus is the only like non-human i mean cersei yes but she presents as human so that that's super easy you just put a green filter over the camera and you're done um well not the camera the lighting whatever um polyphemus is the only non-human like visibly non-human character that is given any real screen time 
Um, I did like how they, they did it, to be honest. I mean, there are obviously technological restrictions when you're um, filming in the 50s. Um, I liked it. What did you think of Polyphemus, actually? Um, I think it was really clever because I remember reading an article saying that um, they wanted to pay special attention to how they filmed the Cyclops scene. And I forgot exactly what the article said, but it was something like... Um, the director had a personal involvement in creating the Cyclops because they wanted it to be done right and done and not too much of a like weird way. So there, there was something going on about it. Um, but I thought it ended up being really well done. Um, they didn't go all out and make him look like some mangled, horrible... You know, he wasn't like a horrible... Be they literally, what they did is they cleverly made him look like clearly a, a man, but like he was just very tall and had the one eye. Um, the makeup was a little funny, but, um, yeah, no, I, I really liked it. Um, and I loved how in, in trying to get him drunk, you see, it, it, there's not just a suggestion of like, you should drink wine. Like you see the men actually like making wine. They're like walking around on a bunch of grapes and being like, here, drink this. And he's like, mmm, this is good. Um, I, I like the whole sequence in, in the cave. And cl and clearly, you know, they they did spend a lot of time filming that entire sequence. Because that's, what, like a whole 20-minute segment on its own? Yeah, it's not short. Mm -mm. And there's a lot of different sequences that, like, they didn't spend too much time on. They just kind of, like, showed it. And then they were like, okay, okay. But this one was, like, pretty, pretty big. And I like... I don't know. I guess I, I like the structure and the way they told the story because it is hard when you're playing with like two different very distinctive stories where you have the flashback with Ulysses, but then they also are trying to capture the what's happening with Penelope and Telemachus back home. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of like how th they started the entire thing in Ithaca and then they ended the thing. And mm -hmm. you just have the flashback yeah. uh, and, and the Phaeacians and all that stuff kind of in the in the middle bits, which I I really appreciated. I don't know. I just I really like the structure. Um, it was it was very very well thought through. Mm. Um, I mean the story and how it was put together and the filming and and again loved 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 the costumes. Um, and uh, interestingly the. I feel like Telemachus suffered from the same mild problem as Helen in Helen of Troy. Um, they keep telling him that he's a child and this man is pushing 30. Um, and again, the shortest miniskirt I think I've seen. Second shortest, I think, in the whole film. The actor, I feel, did a good job of being like this, not petulant, but like angry teenager and pissed off that no one is taking him seriously or really paying attention to what he's saying. I thought he he played that very well. I enjoyed it. Ooh, I'm curious. What did you think about the end, really? Sort of the, the last, like, ten minutes of it? Because I feel like a lot of adaptations might not quite go where this one did. And, and also for the 50s, I feel like that would have been, like, super shocking. You know, we hear different sort of descriptions of, of how... Odysseus came back and what happened with the suitors but like what did you think of this take so I was not 
sure if they were going to go with the full slaughtering of the suitors, locking them in the dining hall and just killing them all, um, which is what happens in the um, in the epic. And they, yeah, went for it. Absolutely went for it. And I thought maybe Odysseus would let the one guy go who was um, like kind to him when he was a beggar and gave him gave him something. But nope, nope. Cut. Yeah, no. He was like, I don't give a man his life twice. And just that's the end of him. Okay, okay. It was accurate to the source material. And it felt a little strange coming at the end of that particular movie because you don't get a lot in the way of bloodshed leading up to it. You get, obviously Odysseus's ship goes down when he's on the island with Circe and all of his men drown, but you don't really see that. There's the wrestling match, but again, no one dies. Um, and you don't you don't really see an awful lot of, of Troy or of, of the battle there. I think like Polyphemus eats one of Odysseus's men, but that's the closest we get to actual like battle or bloodshed. So having it just there, after the movie that we'd had was a little a little surprising it, it was surprising and not jarring let's put it that way i didn't feel kind of pulled out of, of the movie and of the plot and i did i did like penelope's comments to athena at the end saying why is the man you've brought back to me so violent did he have to go through so much bloodshed to get here i thought that was a nice kind of punctuation mark on the the death of all of the suitors um what did you think I think that it is one of the most bold endings, like, ever for an Odyssey adaptation. And I like how they kind of went out on a limb because it would have been so easy to sort of do a sanitized thing. But I think I like how it stays more in line because cause I feel like they sort of sanitized the beginning and, and so much of the film before we don't get a lot of you know kind of how shit he is you have to remember like he's not he's not really a good person quote unquote you know he's he's always like he's to me he's under the list of like problematic faves right and and this the whole movie really didn't shy away from that and again it's the 50s i feel like if it was films now there might be some little bits that either are maybe blown up more and examined properly or skated over but no they they didn't really didn't shy away from the stuff that you're like mm. yeah so i mean i think to me at least um it was a very fitting ending because it's like you didn't get a lot in the way of bloodshed no but you kind of have this back and forth where you, you see this very small part with Cersei and, and it's probably just because they didn't have time for like the Calypso thing, but like you, you just kind of see, you know, Oh, he's like perky and he's happy to stay with her. And he really doesn't want to leave until literally his mother from the underworld is like, go home. Your wife needs you. Ding dong. And he's like, Oh, okay. He blinded Polyphemus as well. I forgot about that. Yes. So I, I, I just think it's like, you know, it's just, you don't, I, I feel like for most of the, the film, I didn't really get the, the, the sense that like all of the exploits were very much, it's a life or death thing. He needed to because he was being trapped. And so it felt very much like a desperate struggle for survival. And then you have the end, which is where you do have to remember, like 
he's not actually fighting for survival. This is just him being like a ruthless. This is honor and revenge. Right. So I found it very in line with his character from the source material. And it's like, yeah, of course he's not going to spare them. This is custom. This is what you do. He came back. And when you're trying to like take over a kingdom and murder your son, like there's not room for mercy. So it would have been to me out of character if he spared mm -hmm. somebody. And like throughout the whole line of the film, you have two or three scenes of Penelope and Antinous, the lead suitor. And he kind of just like comes in and does this like bravado thing. He's like, he's like, hi. Yeah, he's just like, I'll be the one for you. You need to just trust me. He's like, all these silly little men don't mean anything. He's like, you can trust me. And then you do have this scene between them where she kind of is like losing hope. And she was like, well, okay, I'll promise to marry you if you make sure that my son is saved. And you're like, yes, yes, I shall save. I will make sure he's protected when you know he has, like, no intention of doing this. Yeah, like, next scene, he's discussing how he should be killed. Exactly. So, like, knowing that that's, like, the treatment, to me, it makes so much sense that he comes back and then he's just like, no, you must die and I will kill you because you've been in my house for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this, this, this is... Him sort of taking charge and not being backed into a corner where he's forced to use violence and whatever and this trickery. This is him just being like, nah, shit's going down. I'm <laughs> I'm home. So mm -hmm. it just felt very in line with like like I guess I identified with like these are the emotions I probably would have felt too. Right. So even though it's hard to identify with a man from an epic fighting the gods and other fantastical things i think what makes it still sort of resonate is how it captures real human emotion at certain times mm -hmm. you know it's like he sees the mother and that's really heart-wrenching and you know your wife and your son are calling and you kind of miss them and even though you're fighting against supernatural things like you're not blind to what's happening um mm -hmm. so i i do like how to me it tapped into that very human emotion of like Okay, maybe I was distracted. Maybe shit happens. But you know what? Mm -hmm. This is my house. I need to set it in order. And no, I don't have pity for you. Bye. Like, yeah. dispatch you. Um, and to put that into a film in the 50s, that's brave. That's brave. Yeah, definitely a brave decision. What did you think of Penelope? I'm of two minds of her because I've seen the Italian version, which is very much how the reactions of the actress who played her would have come out and then there's sort of the dub versions which is still very close to the original but um i think i really actually like the italian version better than the dub version mm -hmm. um because i think the way that she says her lines delivers them in, in the italian and the, the ways that it, it comes out and the emotion she puts into it it hits a bit different um because with the dub like i can tell that like the dub is trying but um it's hard to describe if, if, if people aren't watching it, but I suppose I'll sort of try to just describe it in, in terms of, like, um, the voice dub you have here when she sees Ulysses. It's a very sort of mechanical, Ulysses! Ulysses! Mm -hmm. um, and the Italian is like an Ulysse! Like, like it's just, it's different, the, the level of emotion. So, mm -hmm. generally, I like her. 
She's she's not too different, but she is different between what version you're watching, Italian or, or English. And I highly recommend that if if you want to watch the Italian with the Italian cast, it, it's fantastic. But generally, I like her. Although it, this kind of falls into the tropey land of like she has zero agency, and all she's done for literally twenty years is sit there and miss. Her husband, which is- I wouldn't say she has zero agency. Like she does manage to stave them off for that long with the tapestry thing, and then she manages to like come up with another like the games to try. Not really. Well, it stores them a little bit because she's like, no, no, we wait until Apollo's festival before I marry someone. So that there there is some agency there. Okay, fine. She has some, but I guess. <laughs> I- I mean, there's only so much you can do, and I and I understand there's only so much you can do with a character who's literally kind of written in a one-dimensional sort of just dutiful wife. She's written as just a waiting woman, yeah. I guess the reason I'm impacted further is because, again, like most things, I've been ruined by Natalie Haynes' version of her in A Thousand Ships. Because yeah, I was going to say this is a is a different Penelope because she was written so snarky and like mm-hmm. you know she's waiting but she's fed up she's pissed she's all these things she's so dynamic in ships and here to see her like okay fine she has some agency she does the thing but she's really just written as I miss you I miss you come back to mm-hmm. me. I'm waiting for you. And to me, I'm sorry, that just gets a bit boring. Like, I know you can't deviate too much if you want to sort of be true to the material, but I think they had room that could have maneuvered her a bit differently. And I think employing an actress of, I think her name is Silviana Magana, of of her talent, because I can clearly tell she's a very talented actress. And I feel like they could have done a bit more with her. So I, I have to say I was a bit disappointed what about you? So I liked her very much. I think she worked well, very well with what she was given to work with. I agree that there was room for more and you don't get an awful lot of maybe complexity from her. I feel like with the suitors, especially Mr. Arrogant Buttface, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Antinous. Antinous, that one, thank you. Um, which is silly because Antinous is actually a name I, I know. But Antinous just kind of sweeps in and is suave and charming and very much, I'm not here for your dowry. I will uh, treat your son as my own and and you will like, fulf-. like he says she's going to fulfill her destiny with him. Like, fuck off, dude. It would have been nice to have some kind of maybe duplicity in her response. So have her on screen when she's with him be kind of oh tempted and you're definitely the best option that I have right now and um just like protect my son and all that and then like have some kind of window maybe she's talking to Eurycleia afterwards when he's gone away again about how how she actually feels because she she clearly still doesn't want to marry anyone right she makes it blindingly obvious that she'll marry this dude if she has to but she doesn't want to marry anyone. And I, f- I feel like that, that could have been, it would have been nice to have that explored a little bit more. Just just one scene, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And I understand that they are confined by like the length that they could make this mm-hmm. film in the 50s to, you know, keep people's attention. And like, I understand the limitations and like, it's 
it's good for the time it was. I mean, I suppose, you know, if this were remade now, we would have a very different, we might even have like a really super cunning Penelope, but who knows? This was a 50s movie. So I don't know. I mean, so kind of along with her, what did you think about the portrayal of Telemachus? And I know it's hard because he's not really a major player. He's kind of just there. <laughs> <laughs> he was both, I think, very well done and super annoying. <laughs> Um, but Telemachus irritates me in the epic as well. This isn't, this isn't new. This is like when we're talking about the Iliad. So Megan, what did you think of Helen and Paris? Hated them. That That's just how I, the Iliad, I, I don't like them. Um, Telemachus is annoying. Um, the actor did a good job, but I think they didn't do him any favors or the character any favors by casting someone who's so clearly an adult this isn't a teenage kid like he's a grown man and he is he doesn't look like this 16 year old weakling he could take out a couple of the suitors by himself pretty easy i think um so because of that and because of the like teenage pouting angst like which he kind of verges on at, at times i did feel like there was some like spoiled princeling going on because he is like voraciously complaining about all of these suitors in his father's house and he tells them that they should leave and um kind of stomps around a lot and they just laugh at him and i have some sympathy like he doesn't have any teeth to back up what he's saying except visually you know that there is something there if if they'd cast either a smaller man or a younger person who looks more the part of a teenage kid trying his best to fill his father's very large shoes. I, I think he would have been a more sympathetic character. You know, it's an unfair comparison because it's a very different time, but I was kind of like, I really wish I could see what Orlando Bloom would do with this. Oh gosh, he would have, yes. Because. Yes, he would have done. You know, you, done well. you, you just see him playing Paris and you're like, oh, you know, I, I like instant just. I don't like you. Nothing you can do or say would make me like you. So I'm kind of like, just what if you cast him in this role? Would I like it or would I hate it? Or would I just be like, meh? I just feel like maybe with Orlando Bloom, I would have been able to better figure out what was, if it was a limitation of what he was given or if it was just him. Sorry, something I also disliked. And again, it's, it's linked directly to the source material. So I cannot fault the director for this particular thing. But, um, his reaction to Penelope considering Antinous. Yeah. He was all, we can't give up so easily. And I'm just sitting here thinking, bitch, this is not giving up easily. She has been waiting for, what, 20 years? And she has all of these men. She has no power in this world. Even the, as a queen, it's not like she can say, I will rule alone. You all fuck off and I'm not marrying anyone ever again. He can't rule. He's too young. She is genuinely doing the best thing she can do. And it's been 20 years. How long is she supposed to wait for this husband who's been lounging on beaches? Now, I know that's an oversimplification of the whole Odyssey, but there is a certain amount of lounging. Yes. <laughs> and she's trapped at home weaving this tapestry, which must be the bane of her existence, because there's only so many times you can weave the same length of tapestry before it gets incredibly boring. So that, that response bothered me. Yeah, you would think, but she unravels it every night dutifully. And we see her, like, taking it apart. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, so this twenty takes 20 years to weave one burial shroud. When does she sleep? 
I don't think she does. Because that's the thing. We're told, at least in the source material, that she weaves during the day. And then she un like unweaves it at night. So I'm like, no, she doesn't sleep. She just has uh, the, the strongest uh, coffee or coffee-like substance. That's always been my question about Penelope. When, when, when does the sleeping happen? Or when does she eat? <laughs> or do anything? Like... Uh, she just she just weaves. I mean, and unravels. And well, weaves. you have the scene with Antinous where like they're out in the garden. And he's like trying to convince That's her, true. and I'm like, when does she take a break? It's you. You're not when she takes a break. <laughs> like what? She just get back to work. Yeah, she just stopped. Like I feel like the suitors would be like, um, aren't you supposed to be weaving? Like not walking in a park? <laughs> it was very very strange. Oh, I'm curious though, if they could have added one episode back that was not included. What would you have liked to see most? So it's not the whole episode. I would have liked to have seen the trick with the sheep and Polyphemus, where they sneak out of the cave attached to sheep. Obviously, incredibly difficult to film. I get why they left it out, but that's one of my favorite parts. And the trick with his name where he says, oh, I'm nobody. And then he blinds him and all the other Cyclops is like, what is wrong, Polyphemus? Why are you screaming? And he screams, nobody is blinding me. And everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. Laters. And then just kind of wander off again. Um, I, that whole, the, the Cyclops section in its entirety is one of my favorite parts of the whole Odyssey. I think it's very clever. And I think it really gives you a, an excellent view into Odysseus's kind of trickster nature. And we get bits and pieces of it coming through. He's clearly a very clever man in this movie. But I, I, I would have liked to have seen that. How about you? What would you have liked to put back in? So definitely not Calypso because, yes, it's very different. It's not Cersei, but I'm like, it's similar enough, you know. So I'm like, no, I don't need to see that. I think for me, Scylla and Charybdis... I really would have liked to see how you would do a giant lady with like six arms and, and and a big whirlpool with like teeth, apparently. I'm missing something. I feel like the Lotus Eaters. I feel like that would be interesting. But at the same time, you could kind of argue that's similar to something else. Polyphemus. It's kind of similar to what happens with Nausicaa because he's like, he doesn't have his memory. And I think they kind of mush those two episodes together a bit. It's a lot of a lot of source material that, you know, they'd have to get through, so... I do really want uh, an Odyssey miniseries like Troy Fall of the City. That would be... That would be so good. Can they cast the same actor who was Odysseus? Because I liked... I liked the same one. He was... He was really good. I liked him. I liked him very much. Although I kind of do admit I really liked Sean Bean as Odysseus. I'm kind of like, okay... Sean Bean could read the phone book, though, and I think we'd both be quite happy with that. I know, that. he's just one of those guys. And it would be a rare adaptation of something. Well, it'd be a rare anything where he doesn't die. Yeah. He, he actually gets to go home and live happily with his wife. <laughs> Which is funny, considering, yeah, he was actually one of the only major characters not to die in Brad Pitt's Troy. <laughs> considering he dies all the time, I was like, LOL, he didn't die. Amazing. But yeah, no, I, I think I would have liked... I, I would take either Sean Bean or the actor who they did get to play Odysseus uh, in Fall of a City. I know, I'm, I'm kind of like, it's one of the most famous tales. And I'm like, why, I wonder, do we not have... I mean, we only have, like, what, four different films? I suspect the cost and the logistics. I, I think we're getting to a point where actually it can be done easily with computer animation for not a terrible amount of money. But until now, like... 
that would have been pricey. Yeah, but okay, have you seen the budgets for some of these shows these days? What was it? The new Rings of Power is something billion dollars. If you think about Xena and the Hercules Legendary Adventures, they were operating on like five cents or something ridiculous. And they were, I mean, they were very campy, very kitschy shows, but they were so much fun. Do that with Odysseus. Either that or Troy, Fall of a City, or both. I mean, I would, I would take both very happily. Also, it occurred to me, though, that, like, I'm not sure the budget would be much more for an Odyssey because if you think about how much money they have to spend for these epic battle scenes, how many extras do they need for huge battles, all the CGI work so people aren't, you know, actually getting, like, stabbed. So I'm kind of like, the the. I mean, I think I read something about the cost it took to produce Game of Thrones' epic Battle of the Bastards, and it was some ridiculous number. And it was just one battle scene in one episode. So I was kind of like, um, yeah, you can definitely do Odyssey. I, I think for whatever reason, I think right now we're still in an age where people really like war tales, war films. We should just write to Netflix and pitch this, I think. They don't even have to pay me, just do it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't agree with the idea. I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who said that right now there wouldn't be enough entertaining action in like an odyssey adaptation the way that you get with these massive different battles and like the duels and stuff but i don't agree with that at all i think you could make these very very entertaining i, th I think there's enough like compelling story in there especially if you've got the penelope segments going alongside it i have the best idea we asked natalie haynes to do a series and she scripts it screenplay yes and, and then she just I would I would watch anything that she adapted for the screen. <laughs> you write to Netflix, I'll write to Amazon because you know they seem to have the bigger Perfect. budget these days, and just say do this, or or actually doesn't BBC produce their own stuff too? They do. I think Troy Fall of a City was a BBC joint production with someone. It was. No, we should write to BBC. All of them. Just copy them in on the same email. <laughs> <laughs> Chain email to all of them so they can feel the pressure. <laughs> Anyway, this has devolved quite significantly from when we're starting. So we maybe should say goodbye and thank everyone for their patience. <laughs> but this was a, a very enjoyable conversation as far as I'm concerned. It was. Okay. Well, okay. Well, um, do you have any final thoughts or, or things you're looking forward to for the next Odyssey adaptation? Um, I think it just interest to see what direction they go and how different it is because like we've said so many times with the Iliad stuff everything is different so I, I'm excited to see how this is different to what we've just watched yeah so um I would say uh, I'll conclude with I really really liked it the first time I liked it the second time I liked it this time um definitely watch it just go and watch it it's fun. yeah highly recommend it and you know uh, before I would have said, you know, I'm not usually a fan of kind of like kitschy 50s era animation, but this one actually doesn't, it's not too distracting, if that's a concern. I didn't find it too distracting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I really enjoyed it and I would watch it again, just not, it's not the kind of thing I don't think I would watch like super often though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd watch it maybe like once every year or once every couple years um just to get a refresher also it also made me realize how rusty i am with the original source material because i feel like you know you yeah, you, same. You, you talk about 
major episodes of the Odyssey and, and stuff. But if you have to like sit and watch the thing and then try to remember it and, you know, analyze it, compare it to the original, there's nothing like having to do that that makes you suddenly go, oh, um, wait. I should probably reread this sometimes. I know, right? I really should. But I think I just got so tired because, you know, I had to read it like five, six times in college. And I was like, no, no more, please, please. So, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I think we really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, yeah, go watch it. And if you've already seen the film, let us know what you think of it. Because uh, you know what we think of it. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm -hmm.